Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Paysage d'Avers Rhodey. Is that like a mountain gnome? No, I just I just move like his uh, iPod with his drum tracks on it around for him. <laughs> and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. A Visit from the Microphone Volume Fairy. <laughs> it always uh, it always touches us at the most inopportune time. It's like I'm looking at my levels again, and now it's like uh, now now the ambient levels are lower again. I I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, man. Did you move your rose quartz? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably some sort of like astrological explanation, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Saturn is joining with Uranus right now, or something. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. He, he's he said the butt one. Um, <laughs> I think I've I think I've actually got I've got some rocks on my desk and I don't know if it's rose quartz but one is definitely kind of a quartz. So there you go. Maybe maybe I need to circle <laughs> it around the computer several times. Um, well, yeah, you you don't you don't create a protective like summoning spell around your technology when you record the show, bro? <laughs> yeah, just yeah, cast a circle of protection before you summon Terminus. I've got um, a line of salt around this whole table. <laughs> Alright, so, um, I guess it's time to do a, an Extreme Metal podcast. Um, <laughs> well, now it's, now it's time to stop the jokes and do, like, the bummer thing. Indeed, yes. So, uh, yeah, first off, I want to say, uh, uh, rest in peace, Garrett from Planes Mistaken for Stars. Uh, he died at, uh, 44 of esophageal cancer, um, a couple days ago. Um, if you've listened to the show, you may have heard me talk about them somewhat. Uh, really my, my favorite band from the whole screamo hardcore emo side of things uh they it came up in my interview or in my it came up came up in the review i did for uh a pregnant light last summer so if you want more sort of play and it came up in that respect because uh it's also a huge band for damien master and an inspiration for pregnant light uh that interview in part happened, really, because I asked him if he liked Planes Mistaken for Stars, and he was like, oh, shit, bro, yes, I do. <laughs> like, that's, like, the main influence on my music. <laughs> or, like, that's, like, the, the hidden the hidden key to his music, you know? Um, what's unique about them is that uh, it's very... It, their earliest stuff really is just emo, is weirdly true for Converge too. Um, uh, it really is, um, but it's it's very it's it's high energy and kind of ragged, which is cool. Um, and it, the, you could sort of, the band sort of grew up in real time musically as their tastes changed, um, and it became sort of they had this sort of uh hardened road dog image they were a band of really good friends uh and as their hair grew out and their beards grew and they accumulated more tattoos the music became uh very like just tough um and structurally well we'll talk about it after the sample but uh much heavier um 
while still retaining a sense of delicate beauty. And that is, although the emotional register is very different, it's way more to do with sort of, uh, you know, personal tragedy, bitterness, sort of uh, um, drunken rage and things like that than with some of the subject matter of black metal. I think that particular fusion of uh, grit with something loftier is definitely there and would appeal to a lot of black metal people. Um, as far as something from that neck of the woods. So uh, rather than talking about the wood, uh, talking about the music in the abstract, let's listen to my favorite song by them, uh, Little Death from Mercy, 2006.
Yeah, so what do you make of that? Uh, well, I like it a lot. I think this is the first time I've actually knowingly heard a Plains Mistaken for a Star song. Um, it's interesting how many of the melodies in there would just be tucked away in, like, modern post-black stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting, because I've seen the name of the band referenced by kind of, like, modern, out-there black metal bands, but it's always in a list of other bands. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's not given, like, primary influence, but it is, it, it's surprisingly metallic, even though it is, you know, sonically softer than a lot of the things that we cover. Um, it, I like the way that, you know, it pulls in really abrasive elements from metal and hardcore, but it doesn't need to, like, force the issue. It allows itself to have you know, kind of alt-rock stuff in there, too. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's extremely well-rounded music by guys that were clearly just doing it for a really long time. And it's interesting seeing that this is 2006 because it sounds super contemporary. Like, this could be released today and you wouldn't think anything of it. It would not sound like a retro thing at all. No, and it would still sound unique. Yeah, Um, yeah. uh, Yeah, so I I think you're absolutely right about sort of the alt-rock thing. They, um... In some ways, this is a rock band before it's anything else. There's a lot of... You don't get as much of the guitar exploration on this track, but there's a lot that is sort of Neil Young-ish on it, and just mm-hmm. in terms of the attitude. Uh, um, doing it for a long time, absolutely. There's. I was listening to, you know, Players Mistaken for Stars again, you know, uh, when I got the news the other night, and... Um, uh, you know, just listening on different headphones, I hear, like, things in the second channel that I had never heard. Just mm-hmm. com- completely making the most out of two guitarists there. Um, the melody, the main, the, you know, the lead to the song is just sublime. And, again, mm-hmm. not forcing the issue, just carefully paced. Da, 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 da. You know, um, processional, elegant. Uh... It's, um, in terms of the metallic stuff, right, you've got his, his voice, which, you know, you could say, oh, he's doing kind of a Lemmy thing, right? And there's a guy from the emo band Leatherface who, who did that in the early 90s, um, which, well, probably an influence generally, but, uh, Plains is way better, but, uh, the, um, but it really, you can hear it pointing to, uh, I think, Rob Miller and from Amoebics and Matt Pike on the one hand, and also just to like alt rock, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah, it, no, like I mean, you can hear that you? I could can imagine this guy like singing along to like Alice in Chains or even. I was like, I was literally Cal- about to say like really early Alice in Chains, the the really mm-hmm. kind of gravelly stuff from the earliest material. Yeah, it has that, and it has the same feeling, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, kind of. Uh, I don't know any deep cuts on them, but I know that Man of the Box is a sick song. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and it, 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 that that certain kind of uh, glory from the mountain of grime kind of vibe, very, very prominent here. Um, and it gives them a that embrace of, you know, like that kind of, I don't know, early 2000s alt-rock radio element in their music gives it a kind of, um, it feels very working class in a way that most emo does not. Um, and it's, uh, and yeah, I mean, 
other than that, the other big thing is just the coiled rhythmic intensity in the music. So you get like the the rumbling rumbling bass lines there, and the 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 sort of the oh, way the, bass the guitar tone is awesome. Yeah, yeah, really good bass tone, and it's nimble. It's got its own independent melody, and you've got the guitars turning around it and over it. Um, and like uh that anchoring role for the bass is um again uh, you know it's was this is a gothy song strategy for sure um but it's also like it, rhythmically it really moves like an amoebic song like the power remains or something i don't know if they listen to amoebics it's the early 2000s are definitely before the time when everybody was listening to everything <laughs> so it's, it's possible they it's possible not at all but it's possible a lot um and the song has this kind of um you can mosh to it it's very, very sort of like solemn and slow paced but you could totally the way it's being subdivided you can windmill to this um i i thrash around my room to planes mistaken for stars all the time it's really powerful body music um and yeah i mean i guess that's that's some of the main stuff to say musically it's it's very you know it's a uh I think what I said on the uh, a pregnant light broken play review is you know it's just like you know it's it's emo but for like dudes who get laid right <laughs> um and uh and you know so yeah and you know Garrett lived hard um and you know I think the sad thing is right eventually you grow up you you're you're a good dude you clean up your act a bit and of course sometimes it sometimes it catches up. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that said, um, uh, I wanted to do a quick plug for uh, Damien Master if, from A Pregnant Light is going to appear on The Sonic Cloth. This sort of seems like a kind of broad, broad spectrum music podcast. He does kind of like deep dives on a bunch of different scenes or topics. Um and he's he's going to appear on that podcast to talk about Planes Mistaken for Stars. So I I don't know a definite date for that, but just keep your ears open for it. Um, and uh, thanks for listening to me blab about uh, one of my favorite bands. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, everybody, we are back. So housekeeping, yeah, top of the docket today. Social media, follow us. Myself, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, and the Black Metal Guy on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, additionally, if you really want to support the show, you can check us out on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to all of our Terminus Prime bonus episodes, the next one of which should be coming out pretty soon. $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, which allows you to uh, join our private Discord server. And $10 and up uh, gets you access, access to voting privileges to decide what the next bonus episode will be on. But we're not talking about any of those those baby tears today, are we, Black Milk? <laughs> no, no, sir. We're talking about a, uh, a, a tier of support... Um, that was once believed to be purely theoretical, one that we created almost as a joke. But uh, a year and a half in, we have arrived. Uh, we had our first ever patron take on the mantle of the legendary top tier. You are literally Danny Filth. 
Uh, our first Danny Filth has arrived at the $50 tier, which allows you to just say you're going to review this album on the show. Full stop. Don't give a fuck what it is. I, I will... You give us 50 bucks, we will cover, you know, some sort of, like, Justin Timberlake record. We don't care. You know, we're going to do it. We, we can be bought off. Um, so, I guess if you guys are interested, we do not expect anyone to actually stay on the Danny Filth tier. We consider it a sort of rotating throne, you know, that people will, will enter and vacate when it's done. But uh, thank you very much to our first ever Danny Filth, who has requested that we cover... The first album oh, this wait. evening. Can I can I read the patron tier? I'm still very proud. Yeah, of this. sure, go for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, stop. If you've heard the show before, you know, too bad. You're gonna hear it again. Or if you've heard this before, anyway, uh, you are literally Danny Filth. You founded Cradle of Filth, fronting one of the most commercially successful extreme metal bands of all time, while somehow managing to keep it real. In between rapturous orgies with pre-Raphaelite vampire nymphs, you like to cruise the web and check up on the most authentic bastions of underground metal. Uh, smiling with detached grandeur as the blast beats fly around your ears like fallen leaves. In <laughs> it's the smiling with detached grandeur that always gets me on that one. Black Metal Guy wrote all the descriptions for the tiers. They're fucking awesome. You should you should sign up just because of how good they are. <laughs> it was it was a spasm of madness. Several hours. I couldn't stop. Once I'd written two of them, I couldn't stop. Um, uh, the um, but um, but yeah. So join if you would like to get us a review. And you know, if you want us to review an old record, we'll do it as a bonus episode. Right. You know, I think if I think we'd really thought of it as people who wanted us to review a, an old thing for a bonus episode. But uh, this guy wants to hear a hear us review a new EP of I guess here's our transition, a new EP of necrotic crypt black metal called Ancient Necromantic Rituals by Gerta Blue. Uh, we we're trying to figure out how to pronounce the last U in it because it has a weird accent over With it. With the carrot so. over it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, uh, this is apparently by the same guy who has two projects called Bashmu and Flesh. Uh, and those are... I don't know. I feel like... I, I don't think I've really heard either of them. I think Flesh is very sort of clangy and hissy, which you would expect. Um, <laughs> I think that Flesh is... Not like, of, not like this. This is not clangy or hissy at all. <laughs> Well, it's it's more hiss. It, Flesh is known for having like a a dude with a cone head and weird claws on the front. Um, th these are like I think like in terms of like solidifying the aesthetic of raw, like the current raw tape black thing. I think a lot of guys have knocked this guy off. As in like he mm -hmm. was doing sort of like black silhouette band pick on bright red or bright green paper, like um, before it was cool. Um, uh, the cover of this is just him in a, uh, sort of ninja robe. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool look. I'll, I'll it, give it, it to him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm into it. It doesn't, um, it's pretty sort of off the beaten path relative to, um, the current, um, the current trend in look. So, um, this is, uh, I think a lot of things like Gerta Blulu, I think is some Sumerian thing. I, I, you know, that's what came up on Google. Um, but, uh, this is, um, 
I don't know. This is this is. I'm not sure what I was expecting when when I got this. Definitely some some sort of you know I don't know raw black metal. Uh, probably not really not exactly this. Um. What what did you make of it? This is interesting. Um, this is this reminds me in a way of something we just recently covered, which was that um, odious hiss record uh, from uh, a few weeks back. Uh, in that it is raw tape black in a sense, but I think what it reaches toward primarily is much older stuff. You know, it, this is not, this is raw tape black. This is a very cool thing to post on Instagram for your friends. However, it doesn't sound like Senior Voland. It, it doesn't sound like melodic black metal with a bunch of artificial tape hiss over it. It's like, no, this is actually weirdo experimental stuff. Um, the primary influence here, I think, is some of the more niche stuff from the LLN scene. Um, because this is basically a combination of black metal and dark ambient and noisy stuff. Um, so uh, the black metal parts on this remind me really distinctly of Black Murder, uh, one of the LLN projects that not too many people think about, but it's actually one of my favorites from that scene. Did a record called Feasts, which is really good, and actually recently got a re-release just a couple years back. Um, so you've got that as like a primary thing, and then you've got this adjunct quality of like primitive demon sea or beharit, sort of like two-note drone riff ideas, and you've got some of the clanging improvisational stuff that I would associate with Abruptum, and then as far as really left field stuff, uh, I think this guy actually listens to Jandek. I think we've mentioned them before. You don't really listen to Jandek, right? No, that's like weirdo guitar loop music, right? Or something? Uh, yeah, it's like a weird bedroom improvisational guitar music with very strange tunings. I think it's really cool. Um, but it's def it, it, that's like deep cut hipster stuff. That's like yeah, pre yeah, it is. those are yeah. That's that's pre pitchfork hipster. You I, know? <laughs> I, want, I once knew people who listened to Jandek. I don't anymore. <laughs> well, you still got one, buddy. I, I still that's that's true. You're my token. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah, so I, I see this as basically a synthesis of all this. Uh, this guy seems to be focused on the idea of the connective tissue of weirdo black metal from days past, and trying to iterate on those ideas in a way of like, okay, what do we do with this? How do we build an entire project around this, and where does it go from here? You know. Yeah, so let's, I think this is going to be a hard one to describe, so let's start with a sample. And, you know, what struck me about this basically from the beginning, we're, we're just going to sample title track, first track, right from the beginning. Um, this guy sounds curious about electric guitars. Like, he's trying to figure out what they are and <laughs> what kinds of sounds you can make with them. Thank you. 
So I didn't mean to sample all the rain, but, you know, we went with it. It um, sets the mood, you know? <laughs> it sets the mood. Um, and so the interesting thing is that first hideous sound uh, is not just someone, you know, doing that sort of customary, let me just play a few ugly sounding chords or arpeggios before the song starts thing. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's not just noodle scronk noodling either. It's actually a riff. It is um, composed. It's a and it's a pretty distinctively shaped riff. It's honestly kind of memorable. And like even from the first rap, I was like, I like this riff. Like <laughs> it, it's it it has that kind of backward sound. I mean, in in stuff in my alley, it's a little bit like sort of Revelations era killing joke stuff. Um, mm-hmm. An album that was uh, famously mixed by a guy on acid hiding under the mixing table. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, and who then ran out into the street and was not seen for days. Um, but um, it, uh, it, it it's, you know, it's either he's got an alternate tuning, right? This could be like the lo-fi. Something this reminded me of was like the super lo-fi version of Ad Nauseam. Well, this is this is also like distinctly Jandekian to me, like that kind of mm-hmm. picking pattern and mm-hmm. that sort of alternate tuning. That is a very like there's Jandek stuff that sounds like that specifically, got it, got it. Yeah, and without and all the goblin grumbling, you know. Right, and there's Sonic Youth stuff that sounds somewhat like that too. So yeah, I think like and we talked about them with ad nauseum. So this whole species of alternate tuning based. Uh, alt guitar music suddenly sort of coming into black metal in a bigger way really this year i mean i think it's Mm -hmm. been an implicit influence for a long time in various ways uh but um uh that is uh yeah so that that's interesting um and the other thing would be the pacing uh Mm -hmm. it's not totally uh the album doesn't trudge as much as you might expect, but on parts like this, right, it just has that kind of chunk, chunk, timekeeping drumming. Uh, and throughout, um, the record kind of has a lot in common with Drone Doom. Yeah, I was going to say that. I bet this guy listens to Torture Doom stuff. Um, because even that melody there, that reminds me of clean guitar stuff that you would hear from, like, Senfil. Um, really scronked out, like, as ugly as possible, close interval stuff. 
Yeah, I was thinking um, stuff on the more industrial side of the spectrum, like Ten Horned Beast, which at times seems improvisatory and delivered with, let's say, a, a highly intuitive sense of rhythm and harmony. <laughs> um, sort of like a deliberately arbitrary, the kind of like he, a lot of the actions happening on the samples and the textures, and he's using the bass in almost like an accidental way. Mm-hmm. Like, like sort of deliberately uh, kind of these searching, deliber- deliberately unmusical searching bass tones. Um rumbling and it's a bit like this uh so stuff on the stranger ends of the you know the sort of doom metal adjacent kind of stuff uh, yeah torture doom or industrial bass driven industrial war music um uh so you know um yeah that that is pretty cool and it's i think for a first move like that I mean, I'm inclined to dismiss stuff like that as skronk. So for a first move like that to land with me is pretty cool. And you know, well, it's, it's like, because it has it, it has space. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I think that's the thing that makes a lot of the stuff more acceptable to us is that there's like there's space. There's uh, these aren't songs, you know, but they are pieces that are organized around specific ideas. Um, weird thing to reference but think of like that uh that chapel of gore ep we covered way earlier this year that sort of have a hey type stuff where mm-hmm. it's like okay so these are these are not like songs at all you know like metal songs at least but they're mm-hmm. based around central repeating ideas yeah, and yeah. themes there is an essence to it despite how necrotic and bizarre it may be um but let's move from that onto the oh, classic I'm sorry, example of the classic example of something without space would just be like shitty Icelandic black metal. Right? Yes, you yes, um, I do. Technical song in a version of Skronk effects, and uh, you know, like the the different. It's like you know, who would win? Four guys with advanced musical training and a massive budget. You know, like frantically sawing dissonant chords or one guy in his basement holding a guitar upside down while he's on acid and looking <laughs> no. um, uh, well well i think uh, well yeah oh the uh the icelandic i don't know if i ever told you this uh, me and a buddy uh we call that triangle black metal because it's always got all like cool geometric Kabbalistic symbols on the cover <laughs> and stuff. It's like, ooh, ooh, I can't wait to hear this black metal album with a bunch of fucking triangles on the cover and stuff. You know? <laughs> but okay, so so this is actually a pretty varied EP, and there's uh, it's I'd say it's split half and half between stuff that's kind of like recognizably black metal ish and stuff that's just totally left field. Um, mm-hmm. So let's go to Dagger and Blood. Um, this is one of the shorter tracks on the record, but this is a very distinct song, and I think this is directly pulled from uh, Black Murder. Um, it's just, the vibe of it is just too similar. You slow down Black Murder, or you slow down something like Vaughn with that really rigid structural simplicity, and you get something like this. But then what will happen in the sample is these keyboards will start to slip in, and uh, something pretty interesting happens. (laughs) 
So something pretty cool happens there when the keys emerge. It's um, just that it recontextualizes the whole song. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you've got this this stompy sort of old school, nasty LLN stuff, you know, because everyone who talks about LLN now just remembers, you know, Vlad Tepish and Belkatray, you know, the stuff that kind of had melodies. They don't realize that 75% of it was this like, horribly gnarly a melodic just like noise rock black metal shit so that's cool but then he brings in the keys which are like almost like chiming dungeon synth keys and the contrast there is really cool and then the music just kind of like falls apart but in the way that is appropriate for the style not not in like the bad way like they fuck something up um so that's that's something interesting to me is because I, I I sincerely believe this guy is interested in very well he's obviously interested in like when we were talking about the uh, the odious hiss um, like CDR black metal from the two thousands mm-hmm. you know uh, people doing horrible noisy jangly stuff but like we were saying when we covered that band the, from the era before it was. Uh, from the era before that had, you know, uh, social status attached to it. You know, mm-hmm. you were not a cool guy for that back in the day. Now you kind of are. Um, but I, I'm not saying that as like hater shit. That's just, I mean, the scene has changed. Um, so uh, the idea of bringing back these ideas from, uh, you know, older styles of black metal, this sort of like streak of noise and experimentalism that's always exist and very just like scratchy kind of garage style stuff and kind of bringing that into interaction with modern kind of trendy raw tape black stuff is an interesting idea, you know, because this is way, you can tell that this music is way meaner and more sadistic than any of the stuff you know, longing. Oh, it's like the odious. Yeah. It's like the odious in that way for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So this is, um, here is, uh, well, here's another cool part. I think this is my favorite song on the record or my favorite part. Uh, so we're going to go from the end of scrying into murky waters into psychic vampirism. Um, so we're gonna start on a part that sounds a lot like Coil's "How to Destroy Angels," uh, and then see where that goes.
I love that when the riff comes back in, it's not the same riff. It just sort of does the same kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so that's... What I like about that is that it has the doomy tempo of a lot of this music, um, but it also has... Um, I don't know. I feel like the stiff arm skank parts that I think you must be connected to Black Murder and stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. do that much for me on this record. I think because maybe they scan as more just the one of the stock gestures of the nowadays tape scene, right? Like, okay. Okay. I, okay. Like I, I heard, I hear that as I beat. You know, like okay, here's the ill Jarney or Bone Ollie part. But you're probably right that it's coming from LLN. Um, I, I just don't know the Black Murder record, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I feel like that those grooves at least maybe having some faster parts is good, but those that, that, that up tempo thing isn't the center of the project. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of parts that really like hit hard, I like this part a lot because it's kind of uh, it's slow but it's driving, and there's a deep groove between that sort of sparse drum part. Really deep syncopation between the drums and what's going on in that kind of wandering bassy riff. Um, well, uh, that uh, that actually that whole part remind me a lot of. Uh, you remember that Azkatem record you brought on? I think it was late last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's got that same like weird dark shamanic thing going on. Oh, uh, absolutely no! Immediately when this hit, when I was listening, I, I am lucky enough to own both a green bathrobe with a hood on it and a. Uh, <laughs> And I have in my room a, uh, a walking stick. So when I heard that, I was just like da- hopping around like a goblin. <laughs> like, um, I got the full the full experience. Um, I put on my robe and wizard hat. <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, you so that like that to me is like a great dance part, like a mosh part, basically. Uh, it reminds me another thing. It reminds me of that's cool that probably would be up this guy's alley, and I, I wonder if he knows about is uh, Rock, W-R-O-K, from, um, which is a Dutch band that uh, there was a re... They put out a new record after many, many years and also a reissue on Hidden's Heart. But it's just like, I played it for my friends who listened to some raw stuff and they were like, I don't think it's healthy for you to listen to this. <laughs> like, it's, and it has the same sort of goblin party vibe. <laughs> it's sort of like, a, like it's a really stompy black metal, but slower than you would expect. So you just sort of hop from one foot to another, and um, sort of just like is very, very hard to explain. But a pretty similar vibe to this. Um, and yeah, and in terms of so, th- one thing this guy has is good is this totally. I mean, parts like this have a lot of energy, and they could have even more. Right. Mm-hmm. If he committed more to the, uh, came out of the murk a little bit and ratcheted up the intensity in the vocals, say, um, and a steady tempo like that could be a good center point. You know, that's like the only time that really happens on this record. I mean, there are things kind of like it, but that's the only moment like that. And you could make that a touchstone to return to in the sound. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. You know, it's well. I mean, that's the one of the primary questions of this record is there's so many different kind of ideas or parts mm-hmm. explored. It's like, what's the center? What? Where do we go from there? And we'll talk about that a little bit after my uh, my last sample. So this is toward the end of psychic vampirism. Um, and this was interesting when I heard this because this is so similar to some stuff that I did personally in a project back in like 2014 or something like that my ears perked up i was like did this guy like listen to some old demos or something it was just bizarre um because this part accesses this same like prophanatica demoncy beharit cross section that i'm really fixated on um so you're gonna have that very very straightforward like two three note drone riff with a uh, this very like minimal ritual drumming but then we'll get into kind of rounding it out back to some of that weirdo clean guitar stuff we heard at the very beginning <laughs> Well, you know me. I'm a I'm a sucker for two note riffs with too many bends in them. So, <laughs> so I, I immediately seize on to that, and it's like, I think one of the things this guy is influenced is influenced by is a uh, like a real understanding of mutilation, like the parts that people don't talk about. Like, uh, I I bet that suffer the gestalt from uh, remains of a ruined dead curse soul is a touchstone, which is like an intro track of just like horrible noises and shit before the first quote-unquote real song begins mm-hmm. but uh it, it's got a lot of the same vibe as this music does um 
so there's that. I think that I, I keep coming back to on a lot of the stuff that we're we're covering. You know, it's it's not really confirmed in interviews or anything, but I feel like people are listening to Demon C and Beharit again a lot more and kind of pulling some of those ideas of just, hey, let's just fuck it. Let's do a riff with two notes, just a close like half step interval thing and just drone it out and see how awful we can make the listener feel. And then, you know, concluding that, we get into that sort of, again, that Jandekian clean guitar motif, um, which is a kind of an interesting coda to end something so, like, stark and heavy on. Um, I like the way this guy arranges these pieces. They're very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that last... um the last arpeggio bit is interesting. You know, uh, first of all, I take back the idea that that was the the thing I sampled was the only Goblin Stomp on the record because that other thing was obviously Goblin Stomp, However, <laughs> a different kind of Goblin Stomp. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't as locked. It wasn't as groovy. It wasn't as like propulsive. Um, but the um, the the arpeggio part is good because it's just like I mean that was a. Again, like the thing that opens the record, it's kind of, it's un, unexpectedly shape intentional and memorable. Um, and it is, it has some, I mean, beauty might be a stretch, but it has <laughs> a, um, it, you know, it, it has a musicality to it. And, you know, one thing that separates the better bands from the pretenders is often just like, do you have an ear or not? Mm -hmm. um, and this guy clearly has an ear, even for making stuff that doesn't sound overtly musical, right? Whereas there are a lot of people making stuff that sounds very overtly musical who don't have ears. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't have a feel for how a riff works or something. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so... I think we have kind of similar feelings overall about this. Where are you going to go with that? Well, I, I, I guess I have kind of a meta question. Um, so I've been listening to stuff like this for a long time. And I'm not knocking the style of doing scratchy, like, weirdo, noisy black metal. Um, in, the, in the actual way, not the modern raw tape black way. This is much more similar to shit that I had on CDRs back in 2005. You know, this is legit. But the question for me for the style, or this kind of paradigm for making noisy kind of ambient black metal is like, so where do we go? You know, this, at a certain point, there's a lot of people making this kind of music, and obviously different textures, different styles, different fixations, but it's all revolving around the same agglutinative idea of different influences. So where do we go? Because we got to be driving forward into something. We just can't make scratchy cassettes and CDRs forever. You know what I mean? Now, the, the musical landscape has changed. There's a lot more of an audience for this stuff now than there was back in the day. Now guys like this are, are printing this on vinyl. And back in the day, people would do CDRs limited to 20 copies, and they'd be stuck with five at the end of the year. You know? So... so I, I guess this sort of thing is more feasible just because of the way the scene has changed over the years, but artistically, I feel like the statement still has yet to be made. You know, beyond abruptum, beyond emit, beyond a, a, a handful of tiny exceptions, what 
is this style driving toward? You know what I mean? I mean, this might be kind of a pretentious question. It doesn't have to. You can just make scratchy CDRs, but from from a sort of headier artistic perspective, it's like, what are we locking onto in this style that can take us into the future? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, with something like this record specifically... Uh, he wants it to have this elusive kind of... I mean, two things that could be developed more. One, the idea that this is sort of like rainy music. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants it to have this kind of elusive, at times elusive, at times almost meditative uh, kind of... Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I can't think of another better way to say it than sort of distinctly rainy. On the other hand, uh, I think, and, and, you know, how can you bring out that atmosphere? And on the other end of it, uh, like, how can you have more intensity? I think for a lot of these bands, right, it's like the way that these, the episodic form of writing, where it's like, here's one sound object, here's another, here's another, here's a riff idea, here's another sound object, right? And they're all pretty distinctive and worth listening to, but they don't necessarily link up. Um... One way to start linking them up more is to work more on generating kinds of metal feelings, right? Well, like, when we listened to that odious hiss, right, it was very not metal in a lot of things, and yet you could, like, kind of headbang to it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, uh, like, the mo in the moments where, like, everything kind of connects on this and it comes together the intensity rises. I think if, if you worked on just using this, using these parts to make an effective, don't compromise on any of the individual riff styles or the sound palette or anything like that. But if you could use these ingredients to make a, uh, if you could use these music to make like a black metal record you could bang your head to, I'd be really impressed.
and we are back with a another record from Antic, whose records we do review all the time, uh, called Allegiance by Diablation. Um, and this is a sort of a a very very French symphonic black metal uh, with a um, I think a very satanic intent. Uh, so a little bit of a uh, thematic departure for the label, but it makes sense to, you know, it, it, it makes sense to do do one in the old style for, you know, for, um, for, for, for good measure. Um, and these are guys from a band called Ad Inferna, who I have not heard of, and a band called Seth, an ex-member of Seth, uh, is it Vicomte Vampire Arcamas, uh, who was... Yeah, former member of that band. That band is known um, for black metal people. I have not heard them, but apparently Seth just put out a record this year that was supposed to be pretty damn good, right? Yeah, La Morgeur du Christ. It's, a, it's actually pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. you were saying it's sort of like um, a like stadium-sized black... Yeah, it's it's good stadium black metal. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. So it's, um... So this is, um... So yeah, this is something of a, a comeback for these guys who've been been away from the scene for a while, uh, and it's uh, I, I don't know what. So this is this is to me what this sounds a lot like is Kvist or like French people doing a Kvist type thing in terms of some of the harmonies and melodies. Um, it uh, it sounds to you. I think you have a more definite idea of what this sounds like. Yeah, this this strikes me as like firmly rooted in like early to mid two thousands uh, symphonic black metal from Europe. Um, like this would touch on maybe like old stuff by Old Man's Child or Old and Oceans uh, because it has that tiny little bit of like Gothic industrial inflection in there. Um, mm-hmm. This really has very little to do with nowadays black metal. This is really rooted in kind of the stuff that was coming out when you and I were coming up and, like, learning Mm -hmm. about extreme metal. And based on, you know, just some of the press release statements that these guys have kind of been out of things for about 20 years now, that kind of makes sense. It sounds like it is rooted in right around that area, that era, excuse me, when they kind of stopped making music themselves. Yeah. So, um, one thing that would be, uh, I think a chain or, or that would signal those times, right. Is that the, uh, the guitars are de-emphasized here. Um, yeah, definitely. This is, there was a major, I mean, I think we both talked about how there was, uh, um, I think we both talked about how there was like a, a kind of, um, this silly reaction against symphonic stuff that happened in some of the early 2000s and uh, a little later than that uh, in like Mm -hmm. the teens. Um, But, and part of that reaction was like, oh, you know, we, we don't need keyboards. We just use guitars and stuff like that. But it was in part a reaction against stuff kind of in this vein, right? Where like the guitars are basically a rhythm instrument. Um, We've definitely had some records on this show that are keyboard-driven, and this is certainly one of those, but an older way of doing that. I think a lot of the newer keyboard-driven stuff is influenced by Dungeon Synth and by 
electronic music in various ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is this is definitely, like I said, reaching back toward that era because you know the reaction that went on back then was because this was an extremely dominant style of black metal in the early and mid two thousands. I mean, it's it's borderline forgotten now, but. Back in the day, this is what you heard that was black metal in some sense from any of the major metal labels. It was just constantly out there and in your face. Yeah, I think like back when I was getting into this stuff, this is just the the kind of thing I wasn't really listening to. I mean, an example of something like this that was that I think we both think is good would be uh, Anorexia Nervosa, right? Sort of. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Anorexia Nervosa had a. <laughs> Anorexia had a unique vibe to them, you know, uh, that or, I mean, honestly, a lot of the kind of industrial black metal stuff from that era could be lumped into, like uh, the early Aberim stuff is kind of like this, just instead of symphonic, it's, you know, cool, funky electronic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, The, um, also, incidentally, the the guy from... uh, the guy from Anorexia Nervosa, Nervosa and a number of other bands, uh, Hrydmar, uh, guests on here, um, on Ego Demonium. But, um, it's, uh, so it, it, so yeah, I mean, I think we should probably just play some, huh? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I will, uh, I'll play my sample, uh, my upfront one. And this is probably my favorite moment on the record. And then after I play this, I'll talk about, okay, what makes this cool and, We've got kind of divergent opinions on this record. You're more of a fan of it than I am. Um, So I'll play mine and then talk about what makes this distinctive for me and how it stacks up with the rest of the record. And uh, this is off uh, De Ruine de la Salitude Eternelle.
Alright, so that's fun, right? Yeah, that last one, that melody at the end was great. Do, 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 do. Yeah, you I know, mean, it's... Uh, soaring up on the keys, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's straightforward, but it's effective. This is like long-time symphonic black metal arrangement, but it is familiar for a reason, because it really works. You've got an array of simple but pretty elegantly defined riffs. Um, you've got some pretty nice symphonic stuff going on. I like the way they use that uh, spoken word passage in the beginning to bridge two kind of dramatically different riffs together. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this cool kind of breakdowny moment, you know, with the uh, the second so- spoken word passage with, you know, just the keys and, you know, some drum accents. And then we get back into that blast beat. It's cool. It's it's straightforward. It's effective. I like it a lot. The problem is this is the structure of the rest of the album. Like I I pointed out in the notes that at almost the exact halfway point in every single one of these songs, you're going to have a like an ambient keyboard break, and I think that is true on I think six of the eight songs on this record you know minus the intro did you notice that before I pointed it out that it, like it's exactly the same structure every time I noticed that there was a lot of that I certainly noticed that there was a lot of the sort of ambient intro whisper uh you know whisper spoken word kind of thing um uh I yeah I don't know about like exactly how prominent it was um, I, I listened to this basically like I find it pretty easy to listen to this on repeat because it has a kind of continuous uh, I mean atmospheric but hashtag not in that way kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah. like there's sort of very consistent texture on it and for a certain kind of cool uh, vampiric hashtag not in that way uh, vibe, <laughs> right? you can Right at, at the beginning, at the beginning of winter or whatever, this is this is good. You know, I put this on and then I walked around under. I literally walked around under a freezing moon a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, you know, um, I, I went and stared at a at a big old big old oak tree under the moon. Um, and you know, it's pretty pretty good for that. Um, yeah. But uh, but like I think so. I think in those sorts of like cycling atmospheric listens. It's when, you know, like, you're not listening for song structure, and if the same thing comes up again, you it's kind of, like, just part of this flow. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So so that's that's one of the things for me is the... Uh, there's a lot of structural repetition on this. These Every one of these songs basically flows the same way. So it, mm-hmm. it's very hard to pick out, like, distinct moments that are particularly effective. Like like this one on this sample is like, well, this is the first time they do it on the album. This is the third track, the second full song after the intro. So it's like, okay, cool, I like this. But it gets repeated over and over again. And as a whole, these songs structurally kind of repeat themselves over and over again. Um, so that's an issue for me. Another issue for me on this is the production, which is just very weirdly flat for this style of music. Um, 
it's it's like it's it's loud and it's in your face but it's surprisingly dry it feels like it's missing a bunch of reverb and a bunch of space that you know i would imagine you want for stuff that's supposed to be really atmospheric and really keyboard driven but instead you get something that's very very kind of like mixed but not mastered it doesn't sound bad but it's it feels like it's losing a lot of the headroom that it should have you know so you'd say something that has more like, I agree that the way it's tracked out seems more like, it's kind of, it seems kind of like a, it seems like it's produced like a riff-driven black metal record. Yeah, like, yeah, Like, like they're just these kind of, like, there are maybe like four to six, maybe like six tracks, and they go, you know, they're just pretty much just superimposed on each other in a pretty intuitive way and that's it whereas maybe you would like something more like a a vast cathedral-esque space in the music oh yeah yeah because i think which i think does yeah i I can see that because there's like when i'm listening on the headphones for instance i can hear a lot of nice overtones in you know nice kind of you know again you say you know old simple technique but good one right cool kind Mm -hmm. of feathering in the chords on that last sample you know, a little guitar stuff that you wouldn't... Finessed guitar stuff that you don't normally notice. All that sort of stuff you can miss in a kind of compressed sonic space like this. Yeah, and I I think that all kind of comes to sort of my what my ending thesis for this will be, which is that I think the heart of this band doesn't really exist in black metal itself. You know, I, I think that it's something that's supposed to be kind of adjacent to it, but I'll get to that after I do, like my last sample, but because well, you've got a couple things you want to compare kind of back to back, right? Yeah. Well, these, these kind of go with that. It sort of reinforces some of the things you said in a way. Um, and also gets at ways that these songs are typed on each other. Um, uh, so yeah, I also agree with you that that first track is like really one of the standouts here. Uh, de mm-hmm. Rouen de la Solitude Eternal. Like the, the first, first track on the record, Aigle du Mal, Aigle de Sang, Right, so Eagle of Evil, Eagle of Blood, right? That that's a cool title, but the song is just not that good. And mm-hmm. to me, the, the the record really takes off with this third track. Um, and then so and then the rest of the record's basically divided into tracks that are a little more purely float keyboardy and floaty, and tracks that are a bit more driving. And so I've sampled two of those, and um you'll hear the structural similarity. So this one is a uh, L'Ordre Hermetique des, Am- des Amen Noir, or something like it, right? Hermetic Order of the Black Souls. Um, and, and, and this is, uh, I think this is the, my other favorite part on the record. So, start around a bit after two minutes into it. Inlatérable 
Okay, so you notice there are there are palm mutes on that. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, and that is a thing that is uh, that I appreciate about this record, just in that it is bringing something back from an earlier black metal vocabulary that is really lost now. I mean, we've talked on this show before about how like there's no reason you can't use palm mutes in black metal, um, and uh, in that context, the, the riffing itself though is kind of. Um, stock kind of industrial rock riffing there yeah um but it's interacting with the keyboards in a cool way um you know that that's i think the keyboard riff there is probably the biggest riff on the record the sort of sign thing just playing with the attack in a cool way um and the guitar riff sort of rises up into the key part in a way that you can tell they were kind of written together um uh but yeah so that that's i don't know that's good i think the keys there and a lot throughout the record remind me of kvist uh this is there's especially the second track on that record which is uh forbanet ver jorden jeg gar pa or something where there's this kind of cool moment where it sounds like it sounds like the music sort of bursts into a an orchestra of ghosts playing or something. It kind of waltzes, the swirling mm-hmm. waltz thing. I think this track does that very well, and it does it while introducing a little more bite in the form of the muted guitars. Uh, um, you know, this is a part that you can kind of headbang to, or it, it elicits more traditional heavy metal affect than you get from a lot of black metal now. And you know, towards the end, you get them only one of the only moments on the records where the guitars step out in front, not to do anything fancy, but there's just like, like literally the the riff is leading, like the keys are answering it, um, mm-hmm. and in a part that on this record might well end in lead into an ambient break, they sort of fake the ambient break and then keep building the song, uh, with you know successive blast riffs in a way that. Uh, I don't know. That that's one of the most sort of like riffy black metal moments here. Yeah, mm. yeah. So mm. it's, I mean, for me, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's 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 fine. I, this is just. I, I think this stuff is just more familiar to me because I mm-hmm. like grew up with this sound a little bit more than you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Again, like to the extent that I was listening to symphonic stuff in the early two thousands, it would have just been like Emperor. Right? Yeah, or Kvist yeah. or something like the old stuff, right? And pretty, pretty much like deliberately ignoring the more mainstream stuff. Um, <laughs> this is uh, so you know, in some sense, it's like okay, hey, this style's all right. I, you know, it's cool, consistent atmosphere. Um, at times, this reminds me a little bit of Arcona, the newer stuff by Arcona, but that's a mm, lot okay. more. F- that's a lot more focused and intense, and I think, yeah, I think yeah, more I unique. Uh, but it's it's drawing on the same era, I think. Um, so here's the second one. Um, so this is from another one of the more uh, driving songs. Uh, and you'll notice that it's structured in exactly the same way. So this is from Ego Daemonium. Yeah. 
it's the ambient break. <laughs> There's always the ambient break. Yeah, so you can hear that how that's structured exactly the same, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, definitely. And, you know, the same, the rhythm guitar riff works in the same way. It's this kind of staggered industrial type riff. Um, and, you know, the keys lock in with it again in a way that is good. They're, they're, you can tell the parts aren't just written separately from each other, but what the keys are doing there is much less interesting than before, right? The, the, the sign ghost melody has been replaced with a sort of, uh, generically satanic um half step right yeah Um, it's interesting listening to this again just how close this is to anorexia nervosa in a lot of ways hmm yeah so like what what are some other similarities well i mean just kind of the way these songs are structured is like anorexia nervosa but the whole thing about anorexia was just like it's excess you know anorexia nervosa Mm -hmm. was you know clearly very into Cradle of Filth. And the things that they loved the most about Cradle of Filth are what black metal people hated. You know, mm-hmm. they they loved the arrogant vampire melodies and the keyboards that were way too much and everything being played way too fast, you know. Anorexia Nervosa just takes Cradle of Filth and, you know, turns everything to 11. Uh, well, that's this is a kind of- thing. It was it, anorexia is very deliberately OTT. Like it has, mm-hmm. it has yeah. Marduk vibes almost. Like yeah, it's like just, Marduk with 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 haughty vampire synths. Yes, you know? it's, it's <laughs> like it, it's like sort of symphonic Norsecore, basically, and the vocals are like. I actually went back and was listening to a little bit of it the other day, and it's like the vocals are kind of like exhausting, but deliberately so. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. They're just it. like extremely harsh vocals at a constant pitch the whole time. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it's just kind of like arrogant vampire barking the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so this is so that is sort of commits in a kind of different way, but like the Arcona stuff also commits heavily. This does seem like there's some holding back. This this does feel like almost deliberately dialed back in certain ways. And I think that's where the disconnect is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is playing around in territory that is pretty established. And it's from guys who clearly have experience in the style, but they're playing it very safe. It feels like to me a lot of the time. Um but let me get to my last hand because I, I think that the whole thing that everyone's missing, like maybe <laughs> just everybody involved is like, I don't think like this is supposed to be black metal. I think this being black metal is kind of incidental to, to the whole situation. I think that the heart of this band really rests in sort of like gothy black metal inflected semi-extreme metal from the early to mid 2000s you know that was based off okay so what do we take from black metal we take longer songs kind of like involved theatrical song structures um and, and some of the basic kind of musical technology but aesthetically and what the songs are really rooted in is a sort of uh gothic pop metal style i mean i'm thinking you know Dimmu Borger circa Death Cult Armageddon stuff. Um, you know, plenty of stuff that was on, like, N- Napalm Records back in the day. I mean, day, honestly, you know? some of the more symphonic Rammstein stuff 
Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Ramstein, like <laughs> that was like an aside I was gonna do. Is like having Hrydmar on this is like Hrydmar's involvement in a project indicates something about it. You know, because I could do a whole episode just talking about Hrydmar's career because I've followed him pretty closely over the years. Um, Hrydmar mm-hmm. is like a guy who is known as a black metal guy, quote-unquote, but the whole black metal thing has always seemed very incidental to Hrydmar. Uh, he seems interested in an aesthetic and a sound and a certain mood and philosophical idea behind music, which is to be this sort of, like, enfant terrible, you know, this, uh, you know, this this ghastly sort of provocative figure. He likes things both yeah. romantic and vulgar, you know. Yeah, ghastly yeah, aristocrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. you know, Hrydmar's favorite, <laughs> favorite people are probably Marilyn Manson and Boyd Rice, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah that's, that seems right, yes. Yeah. But let's get to let's get to my last sample. This is off uh, La Nuit Obscure de l'Ame Parte Un. Um, and here's an example of where I think, oh, this is what the band should be doing. Let's just do like arrogant and gothic extreme metal songs with a bunch of palm mutes and a bunch of cool keyboards and a lot of scoffing at the audience. In a sense, the, doesn't the band sound more comfortable there? Well, it sounds not hurried. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing. I think the hurried moments on this record tend to be the weakest. It's um, there's more, uh, there's more play with the rhythms and stuff, and there's more of that sonic space you were asking for. 
And it sounds like they're just having more fun, you know, in a sense. It's like they want to do this big open stuff. You can imagine the Vakken crowd, like, milling around, waiting for the big dramatic kind of half-blast to pop up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, just listening to this music, I, I don't get the sense that being a black metal band is the priority here. Or I, I think they are... I think this is a black metal band because that's what the members are comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately, dude, let's do throwback early 2000s gothic extreme metal. You know, let's have some blast beats here and there, some kind of dramatic tremolo riffs here and there, but if the heart and soul of this music lives in the keyboards and these like over the top theatrical song structures and the admittedly really good haughty vampire vocal performance, Let's just make it all about that. Because clearly, like, this is not an album based on riffs. You know, this isn't an album based on conventional black metal structuring in any meaningful way. So, yeah, the songs are really structured. They're vertically vertically mixed like Finnish black metal. And they're Mm -hmm. structured like Finnish black metal. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what I meant by it being like riff, like, it's it's like the record has been set up to be a different kind of music than it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Like like the songs are the way the songs the fact that the songs are all structured in kind of until these last couple tracks are all structured in kind of the same way, and that the way they structure is are structured is like riff A, riff B, riff A, riff B, riff C, ambient break, riff D, or whatever. Right. That mm-hmm. that sort of standardization is kind of like somebody. Yeah, like a a, a down a certain kind of down the line riffy black metal that might not be a problem or it might even be an asset, right? We talked about how like um uh uh, uh wait wait I, I wasn't prepared to talk about them so I'm gonna blank on the <laughs> Toten, Totenvok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like a band like Totenvok can make a vert. It's it almost is supposed to have a structure like that, right? Here are the six tracks. Here is the right, right here are the, are the six layers of the mix. Um, it's all really close together. Here are here are our riffs, right? Yeah, this definitely. the more the more exploratory structure is for sure better for this band. Um, yeah, no, I, I just I just agree with you. I think I think like it. They need to. Oh, there are plenty of good keyboard melodies on here, right? Plenty mm-hmm. of good, plenty of cool vocal parts, and they're capable of dialing it in to create certain dramatic moments so yeah it's a matter of like reconceiving the kind of forms they want to work in
All right, so for our last record of the night, uh, we got something that uh, I was actually not aware of until fairly recently. I uh, yeah, noticed that uh, I've been talking to one of the guys from uh, Morte Incandescente, and he was uh, posting this on Facebook saying this is one of his favorite records of the year. Um, this is the self-titled second record by Anti, a German DSBM group who... I've got a little bit of experience with. Um, so uh, these guys released their first full-length record back in 2006 called The Insignificance of Life, which over the years has turned into something of like a minor DSBM classic. Um, I had a copy when I was younger, and I thought it was pretty good. You know, not really exceptional, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own in the years since. Um, I think it was just distributed really well. I remember copies of this were in like every underground distro in the world for a while. And uh, it is a little bit distinct in that it is a, you know, it, get, it gets lumped into DSBM, but there's a lot of material on that record that's more just straight black metal. You know, we're not talking about just like four lurching DSBM songs. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's got some variation to it. So I was curious to see what happened with this band in the intervening period. So I, I was looking at some details for the members, and it looks like uh, the main guy, Anti, himself was busy playing with Darkestra for a while after they moved to Germany. And the vocalist, uh, uh, Adam Krieg, uh, is better known as the main guy behind Dark Moon Warrior, who are an extremely cool, just like, nasty, blasting nuclear war obsessed German black metal band. Highly recommend them. They're fucking awesome. They did a record Sounds called Nuke em All. Yeah. <laughs> they did a record called Nuke em All and uh, I, I got to see them live one time and the guy had like a, a, a mic stand with a big atomic symbol on it. it was, it's pretty cool. It's basically the uh, the German ghost pe goat penis. Ghost penis. That's, sorry, that's my, that's my hip-hop name. Um, so, <laughs> so we've so, got a... Uh, We've got a self-titled. And, and, like, and it looks like he played live in Corpus Christi. Oh, did he? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, you know, everybody knows everyone these days. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, Anti is back 15 years later. So I get the sense that this is like a thing that Anti and Adam Krieg do between other stuff. You know, it's a, it's a side project for everybody. Um, and this was... <laughs> This is this is an interesting record. Uh, I I don't know of anything that we've covered this year that is so dramatically mixed in terms of quality because this has moments on it that are sheer brilliance and moments on it that are some of the worst stuff I've heard this year. <laughs> um, now, now, whenever I run into that, because usually my feelings across, especially in extreme metal, albums tend to be pretty consistent. If it's a good album, it's a good album all the way through. If it's a bad one, same thing. It's very rare that you see a record where it's like it has incredibly dramatic highs and just depressing lows. But Especially this, within the same track. Yeah, you yeah. Get, you get records where you're like, eh, knock off one and eight and you've still got 40 minutes of music and that's pretty sick, right? Or, yeah, here it's like within yeah. single tracks there will be awesome shit that I'll remember all day and just miserable stuff that sucks. <laughs> but, so... <laughs> 
But whenever I encounter something like that, what that alerts me to is, okay, I'm thinking about this the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. at least within extreme metal, I, that tends to be the case. It's like, okay, so I'm not perceiving this record the way the musicians do. There's a, there's some sort of missing connection here. Um, and I have my personal theories about what that might be for this record, but real quick, let me throw it to you. What what did you think about this one? Um, Yeah, a little underwhelmed overall. Uh, I think um, it's partly just the time of year. I think you need, uh, like, time of year is insanely busy for both of us right now. I think you need some time to sink into something like this. Uh, um, it's... Well, it's also just partly a matter of tempo. This record tends to emphasize trudging, sort of bleary trudging tempos that are not my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of down-tempo DSBM thing that has just never been my thing. Um, it sort of head fakes towards a more blast-oriented sound in certain places, and those are often pretty good. There are cool things about it. For instance, I like the vocals a lot in most places, with some significant exceptions, which we'll get into. But, um, <laughs> but like, uh, there's some variation. There's some good range in the vocals, and at, when he goes, when he's pulling out the stops, the vocalist has a roar, which would mm-hmm. almost be. Um, I feel like it's almost being done a disservice by being mixed in the back like a DSBM vocal, because when he roars, it's. It's not like a, it's not quite a hate forest growl, but it's a very powerful low end black metal vocal that would work in a more aggressive context. Um, mm-hmm. You know, lots of lots of tone to it, so so that's cool. Uh, it um, there is there are also some uh, unexpectedly greasy moments on this that I like. <laughs> yeah, um, which we'll get <laughs> the- into. They they come out of left field every single time. It's like yes. it's like where the fuck? It's like we've got this 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 trudging DSBM track, and then a, a craft riff like the Kool Aid Man smashes through yes, the wall of exactly the song like and just throws itself <laughs> into it. And it's a, and the amazing thing is how often it kind of works. No, those it's, are the best it's, it's, it's the best part. You know what this record thing. is? It's like a much less coherent version of the general idea on the Morte Incandescente, right? Yeah, it's like, like throw so, everything in that we like, you know? Throw everything in that we like and make a record that sort of doesn't really want to acknowledge a dis- the conventional distinction between, say, rockin' Bathory Hellhammer black metal and, like, uh, depressive, uh, you know, sort of uh, depressive, uh, highly dissonant, sort of wretched-sounding stuff, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, which which kind of taps into... More yeah, that, that... has this center around, like, pummeling Dark Throne stuff, and then they can take that in either direction towards the more rockish stuff or the more sort of uh, um, more alienated sounding music. But this band is kind of just like... It averages out to the same place, but it's all over the map. Yeah, yeah, I get that, and that that kind of ties into my my ultimate theory about this music and like my disconnect with it, and how should we be interpreting this? Mm. Uh, but let's play a sample. Um, so this is off a track called Exile. Um, so there's there's a few different 
ideas of DSBM that present themselves across this record. And I think, which is very unusual for me, they're at their best when they're doing that kind of like rockish life lover stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so this sample is going to open with a, a very kind of life lover style, like r- romantic, depressive, like blackened rock riff and it's Mm -hmm. fucking killer it's one of the best riffs on the album and then it's going to break into kind of a standard dsbm arpeggiated riff but then there's some really interesting stuff going on in the drums which are actually a highlight of this record uh they're very i don't know if they're i can't tell if they're human or programmed but if they're programmed they're very smartly programmed and if they're played they're very intuitively played for how to generate variation within simple riffs um and then get your pomade ready because at the end it gets real greasy I think it all clicked for me just now. All right. I don't think you're supposed to take this that seriously. I think this is supposed to be. I think I think this is supposed to be a little bit goofy. Like I I I think that like the the way the that big Watain riff intersects with this like delicate arpeggio is like that's kind of a joke like the lyrics avoiding sobriety avoiding reality it's like this is it's supposed to be goofy to a degree i mean it's it's supposed to be serious also like there's parts that are really fucking sad on this record and really miserable 
But there is a kind of tongue-in-cheek quality to this music, I think. Uh, you know, so in that sense, it's a little bit like... Um, I'm in a coffin or something. Well, yeah, I was going to say, a, li- a little like I'm in a coffin. And again, just scans as a less hinged... Like, Corpus Christi never sounds like they're making a joke or being goofy, mm. but there's a sense of humor throughout it. Not Corpus Christi, Christi sorry, Morte and Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there are guys having fun with this sort yeah, of thing, they're, they're, you know. It's it's fun throughout. There's a sense of humor. Maybe there are kind of musical jokes on that record, but like musical jokes. This record is a little closer to, yeah, being intentionally over the top or goofy, right? Uh, it may be in, in a way that like makes it maybe less serious in parts. Um, so again, it sort of scans as kind of like a schizoid rendering of the kind of energies that get delivered in a more consistent way on that Morte record. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think I, the big riff at the end, the big riff at the end is good and kind of sounds like a Burzum riff to me. Yeah, it could be like um, a Burzum riff. I, I immediately went to Watain just because of that. They do that stuff Yeah, so much. that's true. I think there's actually a, um, a secret Watain Burzum convergence on certain riff ideas. Like, oh, there probably is. Yeah. Well, there's there's also a song, you know, and then now I'm I'm scanning through it. There's a song on this record where they steal the lead from Ramstein's Mutter. Yeah, this this has to be like intentionally a little bit goofy. There's I think there's musical jokes kind of littered all over this record. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's something that I noticed on this that I heard a little bit on the sample you pulled too. Uh, um. Something I thought of almost from the beginning of the record was when, especially on the more, well, and and a number of parts of it, uh, is that it's kind of like, in parts it kind of sounds like Migla. Mm, And I don't think that's a, that's less about this band than it is about Migla. Like, Mm. I don't think this is, this probably isn't influenced by Migla. But um, there's some, I think maybe this is just getting kind of meta, but um, it's it hits on part of the context for Migla getting big that's been forgotten is DSBM. Hmm. Um, they were initially kind of, I think, received as kind of a very heavy black metal, depressive black metal band. Um, like if you think about Groza or something. Um, mm-hmm. And doing music that was kind of hypnotic and evenly consonant and written around arpeggios with this kind of post-punk tendency, like Megalo. Well, that was being done in DSBM mostly at that time. Mm, um, yeah, that's right. I, I didn't really think and, about that until you wrote it in the notes. And I was like, oh, yeah, people were kind of associating Megalo with, with DSBM early on. They were. I think with Hearts Towards None kind of changed that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were listening to like, you know, yeah, they were listening to like DSBM and the riff to Teresa's, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. Um, All the best you know. stuff in one place. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, it's, but, um, but it's so you, like, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that that's more of a, a reflection on, on influence, but like, let's listen to, let's call it a life. And you'll, you'll hear some of people will be able to hear what I mean. I think. Yeah. 
yeah, that did you hear that that core arpeggio? You know that. So what they did was they had a melody played mostly with sort of gothy arpeggios at the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, transitioned into a pretty powerful blasting part, and then dropped back into the original melody with the full chord backing. Yeah, um, yeah. It's I do. There has not been a record possibly ever on the show <laughs> with a bigger gulf between good and bad riffs than this fucking yeah, like, album. <laughs> that was all really. Re that was all really good. Yeah, it's like, dude, that, um, like that, uh, like those riffs, all of those riffs in that sample are outstanding. And mm -hmm. then like, but like at the beginning of the album, the, the very first track, uh, Unattainable Soil, it's like a three riff song. And the first two riffs are just bad, just like boring and bad. And then in the back third of the song, they whip out this life lover, like depressive, like black metal mm -hmm. rock riff that kills. I have never heard incredible riffs next to terrible riffs in the way that this fucking album does, dude. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, so in terms of the Migla thing, could you hear it there? I could. I think that they're sourcing it from somewhere else. Like, no, uh, I agree. Yeah. So, because I, really, what that sounds like from a DSBM perspective is um, that's uh, that's nocturnal depression all day. Um, nocturnal depression is like it's one of those cases where nocturnal depression is the band that sounds like what you imagine when you think of DSBM. Mm -hmm. That's that's them. So, sort but of that like the sound. Yeah, I mean, they're. I mean, a lot of people define the sound, but as far as like a codified, it, it's like the the idea of like abominable putridity for slam death. You know, it's like there are plenty of people before them and plenty of people after, but no no record made the sound, made the stereotype in your head like those guys did. You know, right, right. Um, but but yeah, that that whole um. <clears throat> that like watery lead stuff over the just the like trudging two chord pattern mm -hmm. that's that's what nocturnal depression is based on pretty much well yeah okay well and also right life lover also does stuff like that but yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't trying to say this is influenced by migla if anything it's like hey we haven't talked about migla on the show for a while and it's if anything it's like it just this band an opportunity to look at that it's just like hey people look this band is drawing directly from a well that existed in 2004 right mm -hmm. um or 2000 certainly 2008 uh and that is kind of the same place but w one of the places migla came out of you have this sort of water yeah watery kind of glassy clean arpeggio the the sliding riffs Dun, 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 dun. You've got riffs oh, based so on these. Sort of, yeah, you've got riffs based on these dramatic crestfallen root note slides. Um, you know, a big power chord part that sort of sells itself by sheer intensity, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 all kind of like kind of like Megla. Um, and well, another that, another thing that I would associate this with that we covered earlier mm -hmm. this year is uh, Thy Light. Uh, I was that, wondering if you were going to bring them up. Yeah. yeah, that Thy Light EP that we covered, which was mm -hmm. so good, and so it, you know, does nothing special, but it's like kind of the smartest possible articulation of the style. Um, mm -hmm. They're definitely pulling certain melodic ideas from Thy Light. But, but also Thy Light's style, as few records have, 
as they put out, have just become part of the DNA of DSBM over the years. But but the same with McGlaw. Like we talk about, you know, the the DNA of McGlaw in modern black metal is basically invisible. It's just it's in everyone now. You know. Mm-hmm. It's um. The. What, what, what was I gonna say? Um. Oh, I don't know. I think I, I think I made the point. But yeah, there. That's a really good part. Yeah, it is a very good part. All right. So, among withered life. Oh okay, wait, I remembered what I was. Oh. I remembered what I was gonna say, which is simply that, like, when I think when Migla put out right uh, "Hearts Towards None," which is this very triumphant record that is sort of streamlining features of stompy heathen black metal, right, for a mainstream audience. Um, and then they put out, uh, you know, um, exercises in futility. And by mm-hmm. 2015, DSBM was dead. And yep. so suddenly all these people who either had never heard DSBM or always sort of hated it hear exercises in futility, which is based on sort of despondent, arpeggiated, gothy picking, rockish song structures, and in many ways is kind of like Life Lover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this like really new thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's that's good. You know, I've I, I hadn't thought in so long about the association of McGlaw with DSBM, but you really are right. Like the things that people seized on with McGlaw are things that were happening in DSBM for twenty years, <laughs> but but it was suddenly cool because they weren't doing like screeching, wailing, pathetic vocals and weren't mm-hmm. playing at 80 beats a minute the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which are, to be fair, are substantial differences, but the melodic <laughs> character... The melodic character is fundamentally very similar. <laughs> yeah. It's like The lyrics, even, you know. Um, oh, you like McGlaw? Well, let me show you... <laughs> let me show you Make a Change, Kill Yourself. You know, you'll really right. like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alright, so... Alright, next sample. Among Withered Life killer killer song so there's there's a few there's a few parts on this record with clean vocals or kind of like rough bellowed barbarian cleans something like Mm -hmm. that and again like the riffs there are moments of those vocals that are excellent like the part i'm about to play you and there are moments where they're fucking terrible and they do not land at all (laughs) like um so there's a, a, a there's going to be a wonderful kind of arc of uh, a couple different riffs, and then this this section is going to explode with these awesome, just like honestly, really like masculine, anguished vocals. Um, it's one of my favorite vocal parts on this record. Um, they're not good. They're not like on key, but they're super <coughs> expressive, and they they fit all the music around it. And then after that, you're going to have some of the best tremolo riffs on the album. You know, it's again the the consistency of this record is all over the map. And it, listening to it again, I kind of wonder if it's like a Rorschach test. Like some of the riffs we think suck, other people think are like the killer riffs on this record. Mm. Um, It'd be interesting to collect opinions from people on like what's the sick part of the anti-record. But let's listen to this and let's let's get into our barbarian anguish. When you see things, uh, where, where do you see things most clearly? In the central part of your vision, or the out around the ends of my peripheral vision? Sometimes I'd be crazy. Uh, say that again. A lot of things going on. A war. 
on your peripheral vision. kind of interests me how like a lot of the riffs on that sample could just be straightforward black metal riffs but contextualized within the song they come out as like dsbm in some sense um you know just some of those blasting tremolo riffs could just be straight up like enthroned riffs or something like that um Mm -hmm. but uh there's that's interesting and then I love the stuff that they do that's constantly kind of playing in this realm between minor and major key. Like, you know, you've got this minor key set up and then this triumphant major rise at the end of a phrase. That's something I can never get enough of. That's something that Thy Light is incredible at. But probably the origin of that stuff really is Life Lover, isn't it? Um... Yeah, probably. Um, which, which one are you thinking of? Here, I'll go back oh. and check it. Oh, under the uh, under the clean vocals. Okay, let me check that.
I hear what you mean. Is that from Life Lover? Um, well, just the the idea of the manipulation from the minor key to the major key. They would certainly would have to be one of the first doing it, wouldn't they? I, I, I mean, a, a lot of this may just go back to, like we always say, what's the root of DSBM? It's not Burzum. It's actually, you know, Catatonia. You know. Yeah, stuff like Cat... I was going to say it sounds kind of like some kinds of funeral... Or like death doomy stuff for sure mm-hmm. that technique um that kind of that kind of striving upwards into major key but yeah life lover for sure um yeah i, I think that's reasonable i mean i really think some of the inflections on the 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 blast riff before that and the kind of big heavy qu- slow doomy power corded riff after that I'm thinking more and more those remind me of, and again, this is not about influence, just like all these bands around Migla. Specifically, there's a guy who has a band called, the guy whose stage name is The Fall, who has who has a thing called um, Ashes, Ashes Poland, which is like Burzumic semi-depressive BM, which is quite good, or Alice mm-hmm. Woods Graves, or Over the Voids, or some of his projects. Some The melodic inflections are a lot like his, and the point is that they're all drawing from he like plays live in Migla um, and the point oh, okay. that they're all they're all drawing from some similar well of depressive early 2000s stuff um, that sort of the lifts in the riffs da 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 yeah da, yeah da, at the end of the riff there's certain ways they turn around that are very similar um, I don't know that part is also great I, oh you know another weird thing is like does this sound like the ruins of Beverast Oh, maybe? It, Which has parts, those but, ch- changes to major key. Right? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I guess in parts, but Ruins of Everest sounds like literally everything ever made at some no, point I know, or another. You know? I, I know what you mean. I'm just thinking of the big the big dramatic gothy moments like the Soil of Incestuous, so, Soil of the Incestuous type stuff, or the... Um, stuff or off the, like Blood Vaults or... Uh, or, or the, the, uh, the, the moments... Yeah. The moments of the big, uh, the the big major key moments at the beginning of uh, oh, semen. I don't know. You know. Yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. Just, I, that just was thinking the, out that loud. Was when I hear I kind of like, you know, forlorn sounding but masculine gothy German vocals, you know, Ruins of Everest comes up. Yeah, <laughs> I can definitely see that. I mean, this is this is kind of like. Well, it's like you said, you know, tying it back to Morte. And it's so funny that I found this record because, you know, Nocturnus from Morte posted it on Facebook mm-hmm. saying that he loved it. I, I really get that idea. Okay, there is a similar energy going on here of like a couple guys, they meet up every now and then to make some new tracks off, you know, what they learned in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the, the Morte is better than this. <laughs> it's It's certainly more consistent, but... I definitely I, I get why this might appeal to that guy to Nocturnus because it's like okay so it's like fuck it we're going for it you know our personal infatuations right now are what are going into this record you know mm-hmm. well speaking of which um <laughs> <laughs> I had to I, when I heard this I had to look up if this was a cover it is not. This is just from these guys. <laughs> this song is so sick. 
<laughs> yes, it is. Um, this is so at the end of this kind of generally pretty miserable album. Uh, you know, moving from er- earnestly to flamboyantly miserable. We get this, um, and this is a. Gr- I mean. This, song this is the is, song. This is the song this that is, defines the phrase. This is a song, yeah. This is this is literally a song about the motorcycle of the devil, which, in case you haven't heard, is the fastest in the world. <laughs> the devil and the devil rides with me with gasoline blood and a v8 heart oh my god i mean i i don't know how i didn't figure it out before that's like yes this is a goofy record they end their dsbm record with just this like greasy hard rock and leather jacket black metal song a, a song better than anything Aranoir produced in their entire career. <laughs> it's it's really awesome. My God, I mean, he's yelling a, a number. I just googled it. Nothing came up. But do you think he's yelling his ex's phone number? Well, it's it's eight digits long, and it's one through eight. I always I thought it was a like a parody of like a punk count off. And it's like, let's do the numbers one through eight, but in the wrong order kind of thing. Oh, maybe. I mean, the timing on it is hilarious um, against the vocals. And, like, I mean, it's literally about the devil's motorcycle. 
Um, it and, starts with the motorcycle cranking <laughs> up, dude. It's, it's, I mean, and it's also, I mean, this relates it to the Morte Incandescente in that it is, uh, it's sort of at the end of a, it's weirdly life-affirming. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the song is about just giving up. Um, and if it were like, but giving up in a kind of, like, uh... What's the phrase? Fail forward? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's like, um, why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's the, um, it, it's the, and it would have less force behind it if this were being made by young men, right? If this, yeah, were, if yeah. a song like that was being earnestly made by dudes who were 21, it would probably sound like any number of awkward things that came out in the late 2000s. Right. Well, uh, this is like this is like mm-hmm. the anti equivalent of uh, Nunslaughter's Dead and Ten, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, it carries a lot of weight of experience behind it. So the idea of a forty-five-year-old guy just being like, "Fuck it," I you know what? I I still like the devil. <laughs> and the devil rides with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, but kind of like I guess to kind of tie it back to what I was saying originally, the idea of. You know what am I missing? Well, I mean the tongue-in-cheek thing. I was I was missing somehow. You know, mm-hmm. but the other thing is, I gotta go back to last year. We covered that Sale Fruit record, and uh, mm-hmm. I got really interested in that project because I like that record so much. And I read a, a such a, an excellent interview with him, um, and he talked about um, people calling his music DSBM, and he said, "Well, you know, I don't really." Paraphrasing, of course. Uh, I don't really have a problem with it, but you know, back when we started, back when all of us started, it, there was no concept of depressive black metal. For us, mm-hmm. black metal was, among other things, about death and sorrow and uh, mm-hmm. depression and fear and all these things, all these negative emotions. So maybe what I've been missing when evaluating this record is just the idea that maybe they see all these similar kinds of negative emotions in the same way. These are all part of the same family. The same thing that drives the suicidal depression is the same thing that drives riding with the devil.
each other while they puff reefers, spit cocaine on the Bible, and wipe their asses with old clothes.